it's awkward, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's both. So we appreciate you hanging in here with us. This was actually planned. We're so glad that you're with us today, and we do want to talk about When God Rocks Your World, and, and it's kind of subtitled, The Power of an Interruption. Has God ever interrupted your life and just said uh, something like this? Uh, not, that's not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> We're going to go a little different direction today. Well, I'm going to speak about that today. So before we do, let's bow for a word of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to be our teacher today. Lord, we thank you again for the privilege of your word and the power of your word. Touched by Gary's comments today about uh, with the Gideon ministry and how powerful your word is. May that be our watchword today as we learn your truth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We're going to be back in the building, by the way. Our last service will be September the 2nd. Not the last service of the church, but the last service for this summer. And then we'll be back in the building on the 9th. When we get back in the building, I want to encourage those of you who still stay up for a while to join us. If you've not been to Dillon Community Church, we're going to get into a great series on the Beatitudes because these eight theological statements can summarize your, the entire Bible. Everything that's in the Bible are in those eight statements of Jesus. Everything. Nothing goes outside of the Beatitudes. If you want a real quick idea of what the whole Bible's about, then would you come and study with us this September and October as we go through the Beatitudes? I think you'll kind of get almost a glimpse of the whole of Scripture as we walk through the Beatitudes. We want to invite you to come and, and worship with us and be a part of that. Don't just make it only in the amphitheater here, but come and join us as well. Uh, Mark and Mick both mentioned Iron Hour. Men, if you're not doing anything this Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us at the church. We have a good breakfast at 6.30. We get around God's Word, and we're studying the subject right now, When what happens when men tell the truth. And I think you'll enjoy that as well. Well, you know, there are times where I've met people, and uh, I've said to myself, uh, and I've, I'm sure it's been said about me too, uh, he just needs a couple of new jokes. He's always telling the same stuff. You know, and poor the wives, our wives that have heard these same stories over and over again. They laugh at him at first, and then they go, oh, he's not telling that one again. Uh, sometimes we need a new story. We need a new story. Uh, sometimes it gets a little bit old in our life. We need a new, we, we, we need a new saying that we good. I, I remember my, my dad was all, I don't think he's the one that invented this saying, but I always remember when I would say, you know, uh, when I come home after a football game or basketball game or baseball game, and and uh, and I said, you know, if I just thrown that pitch a little bit further inside, my dad would never be compassionate. He would just say, Gene, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts every day, be Christmas. You know, I I don't think he invented that saying, but I can remember that as clear as a bell. It was no use even trying to get a bit of a compassion out of him. And I thought to myself, he needs a new saying. He needs a new a whole new line. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I think Christians need to be alert, even prayerful, to the possibility that God will rock their world several times in between their initial conversion experience and when they go on home to be with Him in heaven. I, I'm defining second conversions this morning. It's a phrase that's not unique to me. I mean, many people have used it, but... I'm going to use it today, borrow a phrase. 
when God orchestrates people or events or experiences in a way that teaches you a new truth or expands your vision, softens your heart to some great need in the world, and cause you to be different on the inside, when you hear God speak to you, even through another person, maybe through something you read, something directly, and, and then we say, please do not hesitate to cooperate with Him. We see God working in the phrase that... Uh, Huckabee uses in his book, join him in what he's doing. That's your invitation to join him. The message provides real-life examples uh, of how to understand, I think, in, in our life here today, of what this means about second conversions. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about how God rocks your world, and I, I talked about initially how he takes you from darkness into light. We, we discussed Paul's conversion when he was knocked down on the Damascus Road. Well, today I want to talk a little further about the same subject. I want to tell you about the time uh, that when I grew up, and I was part of my dad's church, I, I can remember we used to have something uh, called the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Does anybody remember that, the Wednesday night? Yeah, okay, good. You're my people over here. My peeps are over here. Uh, the, the, you know, it was kind of, we had Sunday morning church, Sunday evening church, and then we had the Wednesday meeting. Do you remember that? And, and Sunday morning church was really registered on how popular uh, the, the church and the pastor were. Sunday night was how, how, how popular maybe even more than the, the pastor was. Uh, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, was really how popular the Lord was. You know, and, and that would de de determine the attendance. But I can remember on, on Wednesday night, the people would gather. And my dad would open it up for what he called testimony time. And, and people would stand up and give a word for the Lord. And I can remember this as growing up as a kid that it was the same people pretty much that stood up every Wednesday night and told the same story. And the story was how they came to Christ 40 years ago, 30 years ago. And as wonderful as that story is, and we should proclaim that, it gave me, just a kind of a junior high, high school kid, the impression that Forty years ago, God transformed this guy's life or this gal's life, but he hasn't done anything since. And I kept saying, they need a new story. What's he done for you lately? What happened yesterday? It, it was, it was, it was kind of interesting. And, and, and I, I, I want to tell you that during that time, as they would recount in vivid detail, where they were and what they were doing when they became a Christian. Uh, even though as exciting that is and, and as wonderful as that is and interesting as that, there is simply the talking about what he's currently doing today. And the problem with this little fellowship in our church was that this testimony was the centerpiece of the gathering. And the, all they would tell about is that same salvation story. I remember one guy standing up one Wednesday night, and I already heard this story, I think, maybe a dozen times. Others, I'm sure, had heard it a lot more than that. And as he started this story, I, I, I thought to myself, it's too bad that this guy hasn't had something recent. He needed a new story. We needed to, for him to tell a new story. Of course, I, I didn't mean that he should convert to something like Islam or Hinduism or something like that. I wasn't using the term second conversion like that. 
that he would fall away from Christ and then get reconverted to Christ or something else. But something in me just wanted that guy to have an experience with God fresher than the salvation experience he had 40 years previous. It seemed like something was wrong. His world hadn't been rocked. It had gotten rocked 40 years ago, and that's great. It just hadn't been rocked for decades. I think that there's a certain bunch of, of thing that, that comes into our life. And so from that day forward, I think in my life and in my head, I've, I've, I've uh, unknowingly kind of carried around maybe a little bit of a construct in my mind that this idea that a person is cruising along and then they somehow meet Jesus Christ, their life has changed, they come to know Him as Lord and Savior, and then that's it. And the next step after that is heaven. It's just kind of the doldrums, it's kind of the day-to-day stuff, and blah, 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 and yada, yada. But there ought to be some world-rocking experiences that happen between the initial conversion and heaven. And you can tell, and you can call them whatever you want today, There are a lot of legitimate phrases that we could assign to those kinds of experiences. I'm just going to use the term second conversions. And maybe there ought to be several along the way to heaven. Maybe over the course of a life there should be quite a few. I don't know. But these second conversion experiences, I'm not just talking about the times when you go to a a place and get blessed. I'm not talking about seeing a sunset or the lake or the mountains. As beautiful as that is, that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about having an experience with God. Or God touching your life in such a way that you grow like quantum leaps. You get straightened out on something. Your vision gets expanded in a major way. Your pride gets dashed and you serve in some whole new way. It feels like a conversion thing about servanthood or money. I think that, uh, of course, there's, there's a situation where second conversions that happen in the Apostle Peter's life. Mark took us through a portion of Peter's life. I want to stay on Peter a little bit today and, and talk about his life that might be instructive for us as we wrap up our and, and wrap our brains around this second conversion concept. Everybody knows something about the Apostle Peter. Some people have called him the Apostle Peter, the, uh, the, the, the Apostle with the, the horse-shaped foot and mouth because <laughs> he was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Most colorful of the 12 disciples. He was activistic, energetic, confident, passionate. Peter was amazing. I think what you don't maybe know about Peter is how rigid and strict this guy was concerning the Jewish ceremonial laws of his day. Holy day laws, dietary laws, hospitality laws, cleanliness laws. And he kept that with respect to keeping all these Jewish customs. Peter was a straight-flying Rule-keeping Boy Scout. And he fully intended to be that way the rest of his life. He was proud of his rule-keeping. He probably was an Eagle Scout. So one day, sure enough, God got into his world-rocking mood. And he plants a vision in Peter's mind. And the picture that comes to Peter's mind is in in, uh, Acts chapter 10. And it's a great array of... Of, of, of a vision where, where, where God puts down this whole array of animals is coming down from heaven on a sheet-looking thing. And the idea here is that all of these animals are kind of like the international foods. 
delicacies that have been prepared and maybe enjoyed from dozens of different countries or delicacies that could be prepared from those animals. Food that Peter would never have experienced. Food that would never have passed the Jewish dietary laws. Forbidden food. You might call it, I guess. And then a voice comes as Peter sees all these animals being lowered from heaven. A voice kind of comes in his head and says, Peter, you can eat anything in this picture. Peter, you can have at it, man. It's all yours to eat. To which Peter responds in his head, never. Wow. I will never do such a thing. I have never eaten anything impure, nothing unclean in my life, and it's certainly not going to start today. So this is not just going to, it's not going to happen. Uh, Peter just ultimately says no. He says, I will never eat this. I will only eat pure, clean, Jewish blessed food. None of this unclean stuff. To which the voice now responds to Peter and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter's world is getting rocked. And Peter says, what? And the voice repeats this three times. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It's like a rapid-firing thing that's coming at truth like a machine gun. Now, immediately after this vision, and after that kind of vision goes away, Peter looks and there are three guys standing in front of his house. They're asking Peter to come and meet his boss, who, by the way, is non-Jewish, ceremonially unclean, military guy, a Gentile, something, someone that rule-keeping people like Peter should have nothing to do with. Jewish law was clear on this. Peter is just about ready to reflexively say, no, I'm not going to do that either. I'm not going to eat the unclean food, and I'm not going to be and meet this unclean guy. And just as he's about ready to say that, God whispers to him and says, Peter, I want you to go. You follow these guys, and you go where they're taking you. I'm in this. I just want you to know today, Peter, I'm about ready to rock your world. And now, as they go, it's quite a hike. It's not a short journey here. Peter has to walk with these guys for quite a way. But he goes as the Scripture, as, as the Spirit prompts him to go. And remember, <laughs> remember last time I said how important it is when God uh, knows or shows up on on. On, in your house or in your car or on the road at your house in the cube that you work at work wherever when God starts rocking your world remember I said a couple of weeks ago how important it is to meticulously carry out the instructions that God gives you he did that with Paul and he was Paul was on a need to know basis and Paul did exactly what God wanted him to do it is so important that you pay attention and follow whatever little instructions come your way as we learned a couple of weeks ago, it is what Paul did. This week, here's Peter. He gets the instructions. You go. Follow these guys. So he's walking with them, and he's thinking along the way, all the way to this Gentile's house, about those words he heard in the vision. Do not call anything impure that God has called clean. I mean, it's like a tape that's running through his brain. And he's wondering what all this means. And when they arrive at the home of this military, the guy, the guy who had sent his servants out to get Peter, 
this Gentile, unclean by Jewish sense, this military guy says to Peter, I had a couple vision. I had a vision a couple of days ago. An angel appeared and said and told me uh, that, that you, a guy named Peter, would come. And he said to send for you because you had an important message from above that apparently I and my family and my friends, we all need to hear. A message we have no access to in any other way. So I sent my three guys for you. And now here, Peter, you're at my house. I have my family and gifts waiting. So please come inside my home and talk to us about this message that you have. We're dying to hear what this thing is, this whole message thing that we need to hear. Would you please come across my threshold and tell us? Now, Peter's standing there. You've got to get this. He's just shaking his head. And he's going, oh, my. What in the world is God doing? What is God teaching me here? What is God up to? Then Peter looks at the threshold, looks right straight down at the threshold of the door of this guy's house, and he realizes he's never set foot in the home of any Gentile. It was against Jewish law for him to do so. He's never been in the home of a Gentile. So he's wondering what he's going to do. Here's God telling me, I can eat food outside the box. Not jack in the box. It's outside the box of what I've been told I should. And now it seems he's inviting me into a home where I probably shouldn't go. This is quite a day. Let's mark this one down. But then he starts to put two and two together and what... And, 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 and he's going in his head, well, wait a minute. On the other side of this threshold, on the other side of this door, is a family and their friends. And I have the message of the atoning work of the cross. I have the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just across that threshold is an audience that's waiting for me and inviting me to give the gospel message to them. So he kind of looks around, grabs his iPhone, takes a picture. He'll probably want to Facebook this later. And so he looks and he wonders about this and then he says, and if you can understand the significance of this, of Acts 10.25, Peter enters the house and he walks through that door First time in his life, first time experience for Peter. And he didn't just walk through that door. He started preaching the message of the saving work of Christ, the forgiving heart of Christ, the good news of redemption, the good news of grace. My friends, this morning, not only does that message go over really well, but the Holy Spirit's anointing falls on the gathering of those people right there. And pretty soon it's very obvious that these people are opening up their hearts to Christ and they're becoming Christians. And the Holy Spirit's power is coming on them. Then they ask Peter if he would baptize them. Peter does. Peter's baptizing all these non-Jews. These ceremonially unclean Gentiles. May I ask you a question this morning? Has God ever rocked your world to saying something like a nudging? It might be time to have the neighbor over. It might be just... Uh, Wise to maybe grab some coffee cake from the local delicacy and walk over and knock on the door and say, Hi, we're your neighbors. You want to put the coffee on? We brought the coffee cake. And cross the threshold. God ever rocked your world enough to do that? 
Have you ever rocked your world and say, oh, I know that my style is just to kind of live a Christian life in front of people and not say much. I understand that. That's a least threatening way to be an example of Jesus Christ. But has he ever rocked your world to say, and today well, I'm going to have you open up your mouth. And you're going to tell the good news about Jesus Christ to your neighbor. Oh, that could be dangerous. They may never barbecue again with us. Yet we're told in Matthew to go and make disciples. Tell of the work, of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Somehow we, we don't want our world to rock like that because that can be uncomfortable. That can be, even like today, the power of an interruption in my life. Please, God, just keep it smooth sailing. Please don't make any transitions. Let's go down. Let's take the scale down on the transformation index. Get it down to about a one. I like it there. And please, don't interrupt me by asking me to go over to the neighbor's threshold and walk across it and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That would be rocking my world. But I'll tell you what, if he does, the next time that you're at a testimony meeting on Wednesday night, should that ever happen, you're going to pop up and say, hey, let me tell you what happened to me last week. Let me happen to tell you what happened yesterday. How God interrupted my day. Rock my world and I'll never be the same. Then Peter stands up and says these words in Acts 10, 34 and 35. And he says, basically, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This message is meant for the world. That's why I wanted to say to you, while you're taking your sermon notes, the first point I want to make today. Oh, by the way, all that was by introduction, which doesn't count on my total time. So <laughs> the first point is a second conversion can make all things equal. Wow. Friends, we have no way of really understanding just how large the rogue wave was from heaven that crushed and crashed into Peter's life that day. I mean, I know Peter's salvation was big, believe me. But that day at that military guy's house, and when he entered that house and preached the message and saw that the Holy Spirit would come upon people who were non-Jews and that the power of Christ was going to be for all people in the world and all the nations of the world, I believe that was kind of like a second conversion for Peter. I think in some ways it was just as powerful as his salvation experience. In fact, we read near the end of Peter's life, not only does Peter get accustomed to the idea that Christianity is for everyone, but he sort of starts preaching that message. In fact, near the end of his life, church tradition has that Peter took a trip all the way to Rome, all the way to the very center of civilized pagan world. Why? So that he might even let all people know the saving power of Christ. And that's where many people think he was martyred for the preaching of the gospel to the Romans. This suggests that that second conversion experience way back in front of that military guy's house lasted him right to the end of his life. You see, the second conversion, the way I'm defining it is, is when God orchestrates people or events or experiences in a way that teaches you a new truth or expands your vision, softens your heart to some great need in this world, and you wind up with your mind blown and your heart jacked around. 
I love being in the interim. I can say words like jacked around. I like that. You're different on the inside from the day forward. You change your values. You change your direction. You change your habits. Maybe it would help if, maybe if I just gave you a couple illustrations of things I've read and things that have happened to me. I was reading recently about a young successful architect who took a vacation to Mexico. There he came face to face with poverty and homelessness that he had never seen before. And God really rocked his world when he was standing outside this broken down little cardboard box where a family was living. And all of a sudden, God said, shaking this guy metaphorically, going, Look, you're always designing fabulous homes back in the States for rich people. I want you to design some really cool, efficient, and affordable homes for poor people. God rocked that guy's world that day. That guy went home, got some architect buddies together. They all sat down and started organizing a thing called World Hands Project. And now they're building really cool houses for homeless people all over Latin America. But it can all be traced back to that second conversion, that day when he was standing outside the cardboard box with a family living in it. As my little grandson says, cool, dude. Cool, dude. That's great. It not only can make things equal, but I want to suggest, secondly, that a second conversion can make you mad slash angry. Sometimes second conversions experiences are born out of anger and pain. I was listening to Bill Heibel speak about four years ago. He asked a question. He says, where does vision come from? And I thought, what a great question. Where does vision come from? He said, what caused Roger Booth to start the Salvation Army? What caused Florence Nightingale to start the Red Cross? What, started, what, what caused in Bill Pierce's life to start World Vision? And on and on. He went a whole, named a whole bunch of uh, parachurch organizations. What caused Bill Bright to do this? And what, how did Young Life get started? And what caused Youth for Christ to get going? And every incident, he said, it came out of anger. When Bill Pierce looked over in Asia and saw those orphans starving to death, he said, finally said, enough! We don't like the word anger, do we, in Christian circle. Let me change it to what Heibel's changed it to. We'll call it a holy discomfort. <laughs> what makes you wholly discomforted in your life? The whole movement of Mothers Against Drunk Driving was a movement emanated by Candy Leitner, whose 13-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver as she was just walking home from school, minding her own business. She said from the moment she was made aware of her daughter's death by a drunk driver, it was like God just absolutely rocked her world and said she needed to spend every single day of the rest of her life keeping this tragedy from happening to other families. Her whole thing was born out of pain slash holy discomfort. Sometimes God brings it out of pain. Sometimes he brings second conversion experiences are born out of education by reading or being exposed to information that God uses. I could probably list the name of at least a few people right here at Dillon Community Church who are earnestly engaged in the battle against poverty and starvation in this area right here. And if you ask them what it was that originally got them off the couch and got them into the game, they would say it was an experience. It was a, a movie, a book. I just got mad and said, no more. I can't sit on this couch any longer and watch people go hungry in Summit County. Some second conversion experiences are the result of direct 
confrontation with someone who challenges you to think or behave differently. I was looking, listening to a, a story some time ago. It's an older story, but it was a great story about a guy who had planned a 25th wedding anniversary, and it was really over the top. It was really over the top financially. People had gone to him and said, I think you're being a little wasteful here. I mean, I mean, I know you love your wife and all, but he said, I just think this is very wasteful. He said, you don't understand the story. My wife and I, at 17 years of marriage, were thinking about throwing in the towel, and we were absolutely at the edge of breaking up and being divorced and all that stuff. There was a guy in my small group that I used to meet with, and he took me out to lunch one day. He looked me right in the, right in the eye, told me that I was being an absolute jerk. I was on the wrong path, that my resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, that I was proud and I was arrogant. I wasn't living with my wife in an understanding way. And at the end of the confrontation, my friend grabbed me with both arms and he said, will you pray with me right in this restaurant? People were looking around. I was embarrassed, he said. But he said it was in my friend's prayer that my world got rocked. He said there was a breaking in me. There was a clarity. There was something fresh and new that stirred in my spirit. Afterwards, I went straight home. I apologized to my wife. We got into Christian marriage counseling. We've rebuilt, and now we're on the best track we've ever been on. Now we're heading towards this expensive 25th wedding anniversary. People said, oh, I didn't realize the context. Spend the way. (laughs) This was more than just a 25th. This was a celebration of God rocking their world. Have you had one of these, my friend? I'm not talking about a good worship time. I'm not talking about an answer to prayer. I mean, that is wonderful that when God answers prayer. And I think it's wonderful when we have worship. But I'm talking about the time between you got right with God and came to know Jesus Christ and the time that you're about ready to enter eternity. What has God done along the way that you can testify and say, God has literally rocked my world and there's more changes coming? When Bill Eiffels asked that question of me, I'm going to tell you what rocked my world that day. He said, I want you to sit down, I want you to pray, and I want you to ask, what is it that makes you angry today? I sat down in that big, massive Cherry Hills Community Church. We were watching the leadership forum by, by video, by satellite. I sat down in my chair. It took me 35 seconds, 35 seconds to understand what made me angry and what made me mad. And you know what it was? What makes me mad is when people are teaching legalism. That somehow the Christian life is for the anal retent of compulsive disorders that work with type A people. And you just if you just behave and you just obey, God will do everything. You know, and, and that's your part of the program. It's just obedience, 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 obedience. If you're not careful, obedience can be a form of legalism too. And it drove me nuts. Pe- people were not understanding grace. And that was the moment that I said, this is what I want to start. I want to start my own ministry called Crystal Clear Ministries. I want that concept to be crystal clear in the lives of men. That they understand what grace is all about. Not taking it as a license. Not taking it legalistically. But understanding grace for what it is. That God has done it all. There's absolutely nothing you can do except just surrender to God. It made me mad. There was a holy discomfort. I've given the rest of my life to it. I'll never be the same again. And every time I hear a sermon that bristles on legalism, I bristle. That's not right. That's, you're leading people and you're kind of you're got them 
one foot in, in the legalism and one foot in grace. That cannot work. Either Jesus paid it all, He did it all, or He didn't do anything. And I thought to myself, there I was, sitting at Cherry Hills Community Church at the Leadership Forum. I'm so glad that I did not neglect the assembly of ourselves together, which is the habit of some. The reason why God wants you in the church, the reason that He doesn't just always speak alone to you, on the trail, or in you know the beautiful creation that He's made, is because He, he uses the worship experience as an event to teach and explore and blow your minds and get your hearts all jacked up. I love that about God. I love that about being able to walk into a service and totally get ambushed by God. (laughs) And see His grace in formation that I've never seen it before and understand it in a deeper way. Where does obedience come then from? Obedience comes from His life living in you. In the Old Testament it is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But when you come to Christ, He changes your want to doer. And the thou shalt not commit adultery changes to, I don't even want to commit adultery. Wow, thank you, Jesus, for changing my want to doer, because I don't really have problems doing what I want to do if you're in charge. What has God changed in you? He says His, 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 his burden is easy and His yoke is light. But yet I see so many Christians, oh, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And it's such a heavy burden. But we're going to make it. I'm almost there. How old are you? 22. Okay. It's going to be a tough life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. He said, I'll make that load light. I'll make that yoke easy. Because I will change you from the inside out. In Philippians, he says that not only will I want you to do my good pleasure, I'll even cause you to will it. Look at Philippians 2.13. It's amazing what God wants to do in our lives. All right, let me wind it up here. I know that the mind can only comprehend as much as the seat can endure, so let me, let me wind this up. Let me just give you four quick ones here, four quick things about a counsel about second conversions. Because I don't want you to think, I want you to give some framework around it. First of all, don't expect a hundred of them. I mean, get the scale of expectation right. You know, we hear people say, uh, you know, I just read a book last week. changed my life. The next day they say, I just heard a tape or a sermon. It changed my life. You know, sounds like uh, someone's exaggerating a little bit here. And, you, and you, the, I think the language matters. I don't think we ought to run around saying that our life is truly transformed every day. But we can say we've been blessed by something. We can say something's been helpful. We can say something was thought-provoking. But for what it's worth, I don't think I've had more than four second conversions in my 58 years. But one of my second conversions was also that one about the, the holy discomfort. Another one was when God took me, when I retired from the full-time senior pastorate, and through a, a, a fellow who I'd known briefly and had a great experience with, one of the denominational heads said, I want you to pray about something, that God may have something for you on an international scale. And I began to realize that the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. And it's the same not only in the United States, it's the same in Europe. It's the very same in Europe. 
and God began to touch my heart, and he opens up some doors, and, and when you hear about me traveling to some other country, when you hear about me teaching church planning methods all over the world and using our church planning methods to leverage other Christian organizations and denominations to plant their churches, you'll know that that's part of my heart. That's part of my one of my second conversions. That's why I want to do that, because I've seen this transformed. God is using that international English-speaking church to absolutely turbocharge the Great Commission. I can't get enough of it. What turbocharges your heart? And now I give every day that remains to the work of the local church. That's why I believe in a local global concept. And being your interim pastor here at Dillon is my way of being local. When I travel and I teach church planning methods around the world, that's my part of being global. There's a local global connection. But it's all about the local church, the hope of the world. You're part of that. You're part of God's plan for reaching people with the good news. Second, don't hesitate to ask God to give you a second conversion experience. Pray every day that God, and I invite you just by saying to God, I invite you to come in and rock my world. And some of you could add a little bit to that. And God, I have to admit, I'm, I don't know if I've had one. Or, or Lord, it's been quite a long, but I, long time, but, but I am available that's why we started out with the reading of Second Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord scan the whole planet, looking to strongly support someone who's fully his. God, I'm fully yours. Give me the treatment. Here I am. Rock it, baby. Don't hesitate to ask God for it. Third, keep exposing your heart and your mind to new kingdom information, new kingdom experiences. Now, there are so many people out here that are very learned I'm not speaking to an uneducated crowd today. I'm speaking to a very educated crowd. You're the people who read. You're the people who explore. You're the people who expose your hearts and mind and body to great information. You experience yourself to new experiences in varied places. And I believe that's a good thing. But it also will increase the likelihood that God will rock your world and give you one of these second conversions. Last point, we wrap it up. When you feel the world rocking hand of God on your life, if you feel any motion started, cooperate fully. Listen to every detail. Give God permission for the full treatment to come to your way. Join him what he's doing. God started rocking Peter's world, and he showed him the canvas of all those animals and told him, it's just not over here. You've got the whole enchilada, Peter. You can eat whatever you want. Whoa. And then he takes this guy to this guy's military this guy's house. He crosses this threshold, shares the gospel with Gentiles. These people become Christians, they become part of the church and the local congregation, the hope of the world, and they start the transformation, and the gospel explodes throughout, throughout the country. All because at little points of the way, instruction was on there, and God said to Peter, this is what I want, and Peter did not refuse. Peter said, okay. I, 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 his initial reaction was to oppose, but God said, no, it's okay, I'm with you on this. Whatever you do, friends, when the motion starts... Just say, yes, God. There's a little song that we sing sometimes. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. And all I want to say is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, 
yes, and yes. My friends this morning, some of you may be out there this morning. You've not even had the first conversion. But today you wandered in, you walked in, you purposely came. And God may be saying to you today, today's the day. We start with number one today. I know you've talked about me and you have theories about me. You have information about me. But today, it's more about me being your Savior where you are totally committing all of your life and laying it upon what I did upon Calvary's cross and trusting that death, my, my death and resurrection, to bring new life to you. You say, well, Dr. G, how do I do that? Well, traditionally we've done it through prayer by just an act of our will. It's a choice. By saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for dying for me. Make me into the person you want me to be. I'm going to pray that prayer as I close this morning. If you've never had that first conversion, I invite you to come and do that today. And when you're finished afterwards, we just have a simple little thing we do around here. Just find someone who you know is a believer. Everybody seems to know who the believers are. And just go up to them and say, where do I go from here? Or if you want a little more anonymity, go to our webpage. There's a little thing called Beyond Belief. It'll help you in the new adventures of knowing Christ personally. But I also want to close this morning for those of us who've had first conversions, but who are willingly and wanting God to speak in a powerful way. Not just getting up at a Wednesday night prayer meeting or any other kind of gathering and say, you know, it was 40 years ago that God saved my lunch. (laughs) What's he done in the meantime? Well, not much. I want you to have those wonderful kinds of second conversion, if, if I could use that term, and I hope you give me some liberty with that. Conversion experience that says, I'm never going to be the same. I'm going to be different from this day forward. And I say, I'm trading in those sorrows. I'm trading in my shame. I'm laying it down before the Lord. And I'm saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, and yes. Let's pray. Lord, thanks this morning for your word. I thank you for Peter. What a guy. What an amazing servant you had there. Thank you for the life and the example of his life we could learn from today. And As I pray and close now, I, I want to pray a prayer that kind of the prayer that I prayed when I first became a Christian and started this new adventure of knowing Christ. And if this is the desire of your heart this morning, I wonder if you'd pray along with me silently as I pray out loud. Just ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Forgive your sins and make you the person he wants you to be. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life right now. I recognize you are the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. Forgive my sin. Make me into the person you want me to be. And above all, Lord, I want to thank you right now that you've come in. That's what you promised. Make me a whole different person. Then for us, maybe you've walked with Christ for a while. Maybe there needs to be nothing added to our salvation. Not at all. But maybe there needs to be a refreshing of that spirit that says, Lord, I I thank you that you've you've, you've given me salvation, but Lord, I know that you've promised much more than that. You've promised an abundant life. So the prayer might go like this. Lord, just sitting here this morning, 
but I give you permission. Rock my world if you want to. May I be obedient to follow every little instruction that you give. May I never be the same. May I see things with a new heart and with new eyes. Let me be part of you, your plan of changing the world. Lord, you hear these prayers. They're your prayers. They come out of a heart that desires to walk with you in a new and effective and fresh way. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand and join Nick in the final song, shall we?